recording possibly the latest ever Hunderpod in the year this week. Welcome to Hunderpod. to call the Hanukkah special of Hand of Pod this year. Um, we're recording in, in my flat, which uh, is, is under my girlfriend's name on the rent, and she's Jewish, and I'm joined today by two other Jewish people. Um, so I'm the only non-Jew here. So it is the Hanukkah special rather than the Christmas special, although we are aware that we have uh, that Hanukkah ended a week and a half ago. Uh, but still, anyway, happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish listeners. That's a joke. I'm aware that that's not really the appropriate thing to say, and I apologise if I offended anybody. But anyway, um, I'm Sam Kelly, and joining me this week are Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? Very well, how are you? Fine. It's, it's been a while. In fact, it's been, I think, a month exactly since we last recorded. A uh, yeah. month and a day. Uh, and Gustavo Malamud. Chag Hanukkah Sameach. There we go. Somebody knows how to say it properly. Here you have a real Jewish. I am a fake. We have got a lot to get through, uh, because we haven't recorded, as I say, for about the last month. Part of that is because I went on holiday, it was very relaxing, thank you for asking. Turn the levels up slightly. And part of it was um, that there was so much other stuff then happening in the middle of the week that it didn't make sense to record. Last weekend, last Wednesday, sorry, uh, we had River Plate's um, uh, Club World Cup semi-final. You're pointing at something, Andres, what are you pointing at? The... The sponsor. Oh, the sponsor. Thank you very much. Yes, I forgot about that. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But thank you for reminding me. I'm out of practice. <laughs> last weekend we had River Plate. Uh, last week, sorry, we had River Plate's Club World Cup semi-final, and I was frankly too exhausted after getting up at half past seven in the morning to watch it to have recorded. Twelve hours after that, um, so we decided to just not bother recording uh, last week at all, and we will come back and, and cover everything now, which is what we're doing. Without further ado, because we have about an hour here. Uh, so it's going to be a relatively short episode, fingers crossed. Um, we shall get on with it, but not before a word from, as Andres says, our sponsors, the Argentina Independent, who have supported us throughout 2015 by providing our Fernet. Um, they're a fine source of English language news and current affairs and photo essays and uh, lots of other stuff, cultural essays and, and all kinds of other things. Very interesting website, and you can read them for free in English at argentinaindependent.org. We thank them very much indeed for their support throughout the year. Um, and now, onward. I'm not going to read out any of the results that have happened since we last recorded, because we're going to get to those a little bit later in the domestic thing, uh, the, the domestic part. But first of all, we're going to cover the big on-pitch story, which most of you have probably already uh, made yourselves aware of. It is uh, River Plate's um, Club World Cup uh, campaign, River Plate's Club World Cup relative success or failure I don't know I mean they didn't lose the semi-final and that's becoming A what's expected of the South American representative and B all that can be expected of the South American representative um, because of the gulf between South America and Europe or rather I guess between Europe and the rest of the world um, financially Andres you're a river fan so first of all 
what did you make of River's campaign overall? Not not just the semi, but also the final. Well, uh, as as uh, Rodolfo Nofrio, the River Plate president, and, and Lachardo uh, said after the, the, the they were vice champions or runner-ups of the World uh, uh, Club World Cup. Uh, there is there is a cycle finished uh, a, a, a a time in which. Uh, they achieved a lot of things, and now they they, they will have to uh, renew themselves. Uh, the, the, the coach, the players, that some will have to arrive. And uh, uh, regarding uh, specifically the, the club world cup, I think it was no surprise at all. Uh, uh, we have been talking about this after uh, before recording that uh, the result was the, the one anyone would preview. Uh, perhaps not so for River not to be so difficult to to, to beat uh, San Freche Hiroshima, which is uh, I think a decent team. Not of course a one to to, to uh, think of arriving to a final of a of a World Cup, but not a so bad team uh, as for example Gamba Osaka, the one that River had already defeated when they had to play the Gamba the the Suruga Bank mm. final or, or match uh, <clears throat> and they were logical nervous uh, anxious because of, as we have been saying here a lot of times they when as, as long as River won the Copa Libertadores they uh, we and us uh, were talking about the, the Barcelona final uh, when they, there were still six months to go, uh, and and they were yes yes nervous. Uh, they, they, there's a lot of uh, people thinking on, on the match. The twenty thousand people there, which is tremendous. It's very uh, it's hilarious. You you put to think the the, the five thousand dollars a lot of people spent uh, in order to to go there and and support the, the team. The people waiting for the red light in order to go to the street and, and, and shout out uh, and sing for River and when the uh, lights turned red again uh, went to the... Uh, well, had to go to... Uh, in order not to be uh, uh, killed by, by a car uh, or, as the, uh, or as the Japanese shopkeepers call them the criminal shoplifting mob <laughs> <laughs> a co a, a co having been uh, the, the, trying to to, to to stop or or to shut uh, river fans up and, and uh, ended up in in the up of them how do you say it when you uh, put them Chevalier uh, Hernandez they uh, they were there uh, up of, from the over their shoulders yeah. carrying yeah. someone over their shoulders yeah. well those kind of things which are only because the the Argentinian teams. Are crazy about that, and and the, the European team uh, they have a lot of money, a lot of uh, the best players in the world, as as is obvious, and, and and they take that as a as a another competition, not the the competition they must win because uh, uh, it's the the most important match in the history. Uh, uh, they wanted to to win it anyway, and they did it, and uh, say perhaps uh, different. In a different way, uh, for example, I remember Real Madrid last last year beating San Lorenzo, and the players being like, "Okay, come on, we we won, it's okay." Mm. And 
and and this time the Barcelona players were really really happy to win it. I, I wonder how much of that is down to the fact they've had to travel much further. I mean, Real Madrid had to go from Madrid to Morocco. It's not that far. They must. It must have felt like a weekend away for them almost. Whereas, oh, they, you know, they given, all... given that the European sides place much less importance on it, as you quite mm-hmm. rightly say, than South American sides. Um, whereas, obviously, when you go to Japan, I guess it already feels like right. We've come all this way, so we better actually put some effort in. Well, yeah, for for Argentines, also for for big European teams, they usually go at least once a year. One of them to to Japan or, or China, so it not, mm-hmm. must not be that different. But for us. Uh, And besides what what Andres says, um, it carries carries the, the almost the same emotional value that it used it used to have when when uh, when Argentine teams played the Intercontinental Cup, yeah. um, which was which was basically another mindset because back then it was well it was Boca against Real Madrid and so on or against Milan. Uh, These big, these big matches, five uh, thousand people coming from from Argentina to to Japan, and the emotion. Some of some of these same episodes took place, but um, I don't know if the if the the difference between the European teams and the, and the South American ones has like uh, grown uh, for for Argentine teams not to suffer so much as they used to. Uh, back in the Intercontinental Cup. In, in well, I made the point in um, in an article that I wrote for ESPN after the final that first of all, River, the challenge that River have in front of them, and it's something that we'll, we'll come back to more in the new year, I guess, in more, more depth here on Hand the Pod. But the challenge that they have in front of them now is, is to try and first of all defend the Libertadores, obviously. That's something that no club's done since Boca in 2000 and 2001. Um, And Boca were doing that in quite literally in a different era financially for Argentine clubs because, of course, a few months after Boca's 2001 Libertadores win is when the devaluation happened. And funnily enough, while River have been away in Japan and since we last recorded, there's been another devaluation of the peso. <laughs> Under, bizarrely, the, the, the president now is the president of Boca back then, um, Mauricio Macri. But it, it's been, it must be said, a, a rather less... Uh, dramatic devaluation of the pace other than the one in 2001 so far at least uh, there's still time you never know but um, it, it remains to be seen kind of how that's going to really affect Argentine clubs finances but obviously Boca winning those two Libertadores in the era when one peso equaled one dollar were even if artificially were you know Argentine clubs generally had a lot more I'm guessing financial clout Okay, it still wasn't as much as the maybe, European maybe, sides, maybe but they were, they were able to hang on to players more easily. They were able to bring in players from other countries. Plus, it, it was much. Uh, it was uh, st- uh, more more unusual to see Argentine teams participating in international cups, such as the World uh, mm. Cup World Cup. In the last 10 years, you have had at least Estudiantes and San Lorenzo also playing it. So, if River loses it, it wouldn't make that much of a difference because other Argentine teams have already lost it. Uh, and as, as, as to point out a difference between the Boca uh, team that was a very good team, but they defeated a, a regular Real Madrid team, perhaps. Uh, now, Barcelona was with all their players in the well. They were not in uh, 100% of their physical form until the final, but uh, when the three attack men are, are okay, it's nothing to do, and it's mm. the, 
and this is it. And there is no way you can you can uh, uh, do anything to, to prevent them from winning. So uh, that's something to, to point out. And, and and they were of course players. They were there, and they 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 said of course, and they tried to to do what they could. After after uh, until the minute, the fortieth minute of the first half, they were doing a great job in terms of pressure, not with the ball, because the difference between Barcelona and the, any other team in the world is that they also press the other team, but the, when they have the ball, they they play it in. Oh, also, there's there's not that much that you can do against uh, Barcelona in full force, and okay. actually, I'm, I wouldn't say only the four or the only only the first 15 minutes up until the first goal, and it wasn't fully his responsibility. Up until the first goal, Barovero had done a great, great mm -hmm. job, and I, I, I was kind of wondering why he doesn't get the 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 chops, the chances to to go on the national team. He was doing really fine. He's a goalkeeper. Yeah. Yes, well, but that, 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 that's it. For some reason, goalkeepers. We, we've spoken about it many times before on the pod that for whatever reason, a lot of goalkeepers in the Argentine league seem to be. Uh, less fancied by European clubs than, than players in other positions. You get the old exception, obviously, Sergio Romero, Geronimo Rulli, and so on. But um, by and large, there seem to be oh, but a, a sort of surfeit of good goalkeepers in comparison with a lot of less impressive outfield players, which mm. I sometimes wonder whether that's partly down to why there are, why there are not as many goals scored in the Argentine well, league as there are. Yeah, with Barovero, practically... I think it must be a lack of marketing or everything uh, than everything else. There are other things as well. I mean, he's a very good shot stopper. Lots of Argentine keepers are, but then some of the kind of command of the area coming for crosses and things is sometimes a bit. And the fit, the fit, sometimes exactly. Yeah, kick the ball, kicking the ball, perhaps any anywhere, and it's not the the perhaps the the strength he the a normal goalkeeper for the national team should have. In my opinion, of course, Romero is not brilliant. Also, with the with their feet. No, but for example, you uh, uh, if you have to Rom sorry, but Romero is shocking with his feet. Yes. yes, not not week in week out. It must be said, but he has some matches against Brazil, for instance. I remember going to the game. Obviously, I went to nearly all of Argentina's home World Cup qualifiers in the last World Cup cycle, and I hadn't really noticed it before. But against Brazil, he was absolutely terrible. And if you have to compare it also with Orion. I, I don't mm. see it had that much of an abysmal difference between him and Barbero. That's no. that, uh, that's probably the deal. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have some. And against the Huracan in the or the South American Cup, the he had some. I don't say if, if I I know if to, to put it as mistakes, but uh, getting to the ball uh, a bit late and, and and well, of course, uh, Avila did a great uh, play, but. Mm -hmm. Was yeah, he was a bit like old, like perhaps also thinking about to uh, nervous and yeah, sort of un uncertain about what to do and indecisive. Yes, I, w I wanted to have a, a, a quick discussion. Let's try and keep this to sort of five-ish minutes, but about the um, the format of the World Club Championship as well. At national team level, the World Cup, since it's sort of expanded to thirty-two teams and everything, has been. Okay, it, it's largely the, the expansion has been about trying to get set latter votes at the FIFA Congress by giving more continents and more places at the World Cup and so on. But it's also been about trying to um, spread the money around in the world of football a bit more. 
And so I think although the reasons for that are clearly, you know, a bit naughty, obviously, which is why Blatter's been banned from football this year, uh, this week, sorry, um, the what ends up happening sometimes, at least if it's administered the right way, could be good and a better distribution of wealth. And so I was thinking after the uh, the final, more after the final than before, to be honest, because it, it's always slightly depressing when you actually watch the Club World Cup final and then it, it really comes home to you, the, the disparity between these clubs. Um, how could we try and make a Club World Championship that that does something to uh, to change that redistribution of of, of wealth and, and tries to sort of help the, the clubs from the, the continents that aren't Europe. And so my idea, which I'm going to try and sort of give you guys first of all and then let you comment on afterwards, um, is to, a couple of steps, first of all to stop any pretense that any team other than the European team are the overwhelming favourites to win it. And that the European team have kind of got all the money they need anyway. So this might be controversial, but at, at the risk of you know, possibly telling them that if they don't want to play it, then there's no need to play it, but we quite like them to play it. Pay them just enough to get them to come, but sort of say, look, we're going to give more money to the sides from the other confederations, first of all. Try and rotate the hosting around the other confederations rather than have it in Asia or, well, sorry, in Japan or Morocco, depending on who bits higher, basically, which it has been for the last few years, um, would be the other. And then from that point on, I would give prize money to... First of all, to each club who wins a match, and secondly, also an equal amount of prize money to the confederation. But it has to—I don't know how you do this. This this involves trusting the confederations to, to be clean, <laughs> yes. or having some kind of setup in place that ensures you know where the money's going. It has to go back into the the, the top-flight clubs in that confederation, maybe via whoever qualifies for that that confederation's continental cup the next year, or something like this. So that say, if River managed to win a match. That gets Condobol some money, which then gets redistributed among Copa Libertadores participants the following year. Up the prize money. Barcelona got $5 million for winning on um, Sunday, whereas River, for winning the whole Copa Libertadores, got uh, $6.1 million for winning the whole of the Copa Libertadores in, in August. Um, and a Champions League group stage team who get into the Champions League group stage in Europe and then lose all six of their matches get $13 million. This is why the disparity kicks in. And the other thing that I thought was that the main problem is, is one of the, the formats. Because you have teams like Auckland City, TP Mazembe, uh, both of whom are, are fairly regular. Obviously, Auckland City are basically annual because they're, they're by far the best club side in, in Oceania. TP Mazembe are uh, very regular um, competitors as well. Who have to go thousands of miles for this and they might play one match because it's an all-knockout competition. And nobody, apart from one of the lucky semi-finalists and then the finalist, the losing finalist, basically, gets to play against the champions of Europe, which I'm, you would think is, is the kind of dream that everybody has. Obviously, last year, Auckland City made it all the way to the semi-final and got to play San Lorenzo, which for them was like they couldn't believe what was happening. But, you know, you kind of think, having got that far, you wouldn't have begrudged them that much the chance to have a go at Real Madrid, and that would have been really spectacular for them but they couldn't. And so I realise that FIFA want to have a final, they want to have a showpiece match, but I just wonder whether it would be an easier way to redistribute everything if we made it a round robin. Everybody plays against everybody else. If you want to try and make sure that the last match is going to be decisive, 
then you schedule Europe against South America for the final round of games or maybe for the penultimate round of games because you don't necessarily want Europe to have won the title by that point already. Um, but, you know, surely there's a way to do that, isn't there? Everybody gets more matches, so nobody goes all the way to Japan, let's say, and then feels like, oh, we've only played one game. What did we come all the way... Well, two games, because then you play the seventh-place playoff or whatever it is. Um, so what did we come all the way here for? Every match is, or most of the matches, are going to be live for one of the standings or another. And there's the opportunity to sell more tickets and to, to give everybody a little bit more money. Do we have any comments on this? I realise, by the way, that it's cloud cuckoo land and that you need to set aside a whole month for the tournament. I'm not denying this, but... Well, maybe maybe it's coming in the future, you know, because uh, from the from the original format of the Copa Intercontinental uh, to here, you have seen like a change in structure, and probably when the when the, like the model, the the, the the organization of the Cup World Cup um, ceases to be as interesting as it was. Like I don't know, next year if it becomes boring, they would probably do so, like redistribute the rounds or. Uh, even considering consider bringing in one more team from south from South America and another team from Europe and so on because mm. you don't you have other tournaments if if you don't have the Champions League you have also the Europa League and so on and so on um, the the format is going to continue to change uh, and for your first idea I think it it is it is a good idea except for the part where you where you refer to the federations. Um, we, we See, the reason I say this is that you don't for instance, I guess it's easiest to, to illustrate with Oceania, you don't want Auckland City, who are already as I say, clearly the kind of giants of the Oceania game, going to the Club World Cup and just using the money they get from that to then plow and, and become even bigger and bigger and bigger and you get to the point where nobody else in Oceania can beat them, which, which is already the case apparently, given how they turn up there every single year, so I'm assuming um, ideally you'd like the Oceania Champions League to be more even as well and to give them a bit more of a test the rest of the year round which is why I, I thought that it's I don't know how you'd redistribute it uh -huh. but finding some way of redistributing some of that prize money to, to confederation and not, and not to bother uh, too much with the, with the issue we in South America we have been accustomed to the handlings of the Conmebol of the handlings of the AFA and basically saying that another source of income for uh, for federations that obviously are not handling their, fin mm. their finances and uh and money handling well, it's basically throwing more money at the ones who are doing it wrong. Yeah. So maybe you can go about, I don't know, for example, facing the NGOs that have to do with uh, with football and development and so on, uh, to also benefit other areas besides the clubs. Okay. Um, than basically handing it in it over to the federations. But that's like my idea about it. Hmm. Yes, and more matches will mean because around Robin means. Uh, putting it as, as a normal World Cup in which you have to play at least three matches and then of course uh, play the playoffs uh, but uh, we mean putting more money because I don't imagine Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and so uh, going and playing more matches and, and having the the, the relation you, you just have said about the... Yeah, that's the, the, that's the danger, isn't it? I mean, yes. you could almost set it up like a challenge thing. So you have one group of seven teams. Whoever finishes top of the group of seven teams get to play the European side. But again, that doesn't seem, you know... I think everybody needs to have a go at, at the big team. And so there has to be... Which is why it's not a perfect suggestion, of course. Oh, you should, there has I, to be a way of, of getting them interested enough to play without giving them 
fucking loads of money. I mean, they, Barcelona were motivated enough to play, and they only, as we say, they won $5 million, which for Barcelona is money they find down the back of the sofa. They have, uh, have already renewed their, their contract with Nike for 100 million euro. Mm. So it's uh, how it's the uh, 20th part of the money they will get from 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 the the, the brand that they pro that provide with with the clothes uh, will it's nothing and what I should do what I would do is to perhaps uh, make it in not uh, every single year but perhaps every two years but uh, with real uh, teams that can challenge other, uh, any other team with with real possibilities and uh, the champions the real champions for example the uh, if Bayern Munich uh, gets uh, the, the European, the, the Champions League, because they have been the champions of the Bundesliga, to be, of course, uh, have the possi possibility to qualify also to the Club World Cup independently of the, the Champions League. So, so you have more attractive teams in uh, perhaps less uh, period of, t I, I mean, less uh, uh, times you play the, the World Cup. I mean, every two years, for example, but with the with more money, more matches, more more attractive teams. Because uh, okay, so you'd have it every few years and have the champions of each continent. It, so, yeah. so you'd have yes, more three or four European sides, three or four South American sides involved, and so on. That should be that would be a good idea, I think. Uh, here you have Tipi Masembe, San Freche, uh, at uh, Auckland City. Uh, the, the, all, all the time they are the same teams and. and and you know, already know that they won't get to the final or semi-final, and of course it's all organized in order for Barcelona, Real Madrid, or the European or the South American team to win it. Mm. That will continue, but at least if you have more teams that uh, could be more similar to a real World Cup in terms of, of, of number of teams and 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 and, and, and so qu quality of them. So something more like the the original one, the the one in two thousand where we had the. Yes, a bunch of Brazilian teams with Manchester United and Real Madrid going down there and and so on. Yes, something like that. Okay, it's worth a thought. Anyway, I think we can all agree on that. That the, the giving some serious money to, to the teams who, who are in there might just help to close that gap over time. And the other thing is that I think it would be more entertaining. I mean, River's semi-final. Okay, with partly even and, and Tim Vickery has written about this many times, uh, the Club World Cup semi-finals being always, for the South American side, a much more difficult fixture because there's no pressure on the opponents. There's all the pressure in the world on the South American side because they arrive wanting and you know expecting to play the final. And that makes for a very tense match and a very uh, a very even match normally. But the thing is, that generally, that was, although it wasn't particularly entertaining, I thought it was much more interesting as a game than watching the final. Well, you knew exactly what was going to happen from the first minute and the only really kind of the real intrigue was A, how are River going to try and approach this without being humiliated? And B, how long are River going to manage to hold out before conceding the first goal? Um, and then once the first goal scored, then you think, okay, well, that, you know, that, that's it. There's no real way back here. But you never know. Like, they might lump one up from the halfway line and Bravo might completely fumble it and there might, it suddenly might be 1 1 in the 90th minute. Like, something interesting could still happen when there's only one goal in it. As soon as Suarez scores the second goal, then it's like, right, I mean, that is game over. And now it's just a matter of how few can River concede. Um, and that would be the same regardless of who was playing you know, in, in, in River's place in the final. It, would be, it has been the same for the last few years now, regardless of who's been playing in Barcelona's place in, in the European side. 
uh, in the last nine editions of the Club World Cup, there has only been one South American winner. That was Corinthians against Chelsea in uh, 2009, I think it was. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Oh, hang on, I know which year Corinthians won it because I put it here. 2012, um, when Chelsea were on a particularly big slump after, after winning the Champions League for the first time, of course. Um, and so I just think a round robin with everybody playing everybody else at least once would give you at least a lot more really even matches and it would also give everybody as I say a shot at the European or the South American giants and everybody gets a bit of a glamour tie well um, it, would, it would definitely make uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid sweat it out a bit more hmm. definitely precisely as well yeah I mean that, at least if they've got to play a bunch of matches okay they're going to be playing a bunch of matches in a very short space of time against teams who are nowhere near as good as them but at least they're playing a bunch of matches in a very short space of time and they've actually got to do some work for it to, to, to call themselves champions in this well. case it just wasn't the problem for, for Barcelona because they had been play, they had played against uh, Bayer Leverkusen the, the, the previous week and uh, against La Coruña Deportivo de La Coruña the, the, the three days before mm. uh, or four days before uh, playing against uh, Gansu and for some reason they've got another match on the 30th of December because the Spanish league isn't uh, if it is breaking for winter this year it's breaking very late so next Wednesday there's a full ma- uh, full match programme in Spain and Barcelona are playing I've forgotten um, but they're playing somebody anyway so and they, they, they should have been playing against uh, Sportivo, Sporting Gijón it was yeah uh, and they of course postponed their match because they were in Japan mm. Anyway, we shall now move on to uh, one of the more entertaining stories, it must be said, arguably far more entertaining than the Club World Cup final, um, of the last month, which was the AFA elections, where 75 delegates got together um, to cast their vote. Who would they prefer? Would they prefer Marcelo Tinelli as new president, or would they prefer the incumbent, the acting president, uh, Luis Segura? And the result ended up... It ended up a 38-38 draw. Um, if you're good at very rapid maths, you will have already realised that 38 plus 38 equals 76. Um, there, were, there was a double vote. There was at least one double vote. There was rather confusing reports about whether it was one or, or three or various or whatever. Um, and there were also one or two conspiracy theory style videos about whether Louis Segura knew it was going to happen or not. But why that would happen, I don't know, because the earlier vote favoured Segura rather than Tinelli for reasons that we'll go into in a minute. Um, but basically, we still don't know who the AFA president is going to be. The vote was rescheduled for last Friday, for the 18th, and that was then cancelled by a court um, in Argentina, by the Supreme Court, in fact, right? Uh, yes. Who yes. said that it couldn't take place. And on last Saturday, um, Argentinos Juniors president changed. They had elections. And um, the previous bloke, who was basically the stand-in for Segura, whose name I don't even know. Um, the one who got elected? No, no, the, the, the previous guy, who was definitely going to vote for Segura, has been kicked out, and none of the three who were, who were running for him, including one of whom was uh, a, a, a sort of acquaintance of mine, um, who didn't win, by the way. Uh, I was hoping he would, but he didn't. Uh, but none of the three who were running in, uh, in his place are Segura fans. They're all Tinelli voters. So the new bloke, uh, Patricio Matri... Malaspina. Malaspina, thank you. I want to say Matricati, but he's a player. Isn't he? <laughs> that, that would be an interesting one. Um, Patricio Malaspina is it Patricio? 
I'm not sure. It's not, is it? No, it's somebody else, Gustav or something. Malaspina, anyway. Um, the new president of Argentinos Juniors. I'll Google it as well. Um, yes, and Lisegura um, wanted uh, the, the elections, the AF elections, to be uh, taken uh, the, the 18th of December because he. Christian Malaspina, sorry to Christian, interrupt. Christian, okay. No, he he wanted to avoid this to for for the candidate he supported not to be defeated mm. uh, before the the off elections have been taken. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and this um, was not possible for him. No, exactly, and, and, and so so we had a kind of rather. I think if it had taken place on the 18th, it would have been a bit of a scandal then because you'd have had Argentinos vote being cast for a player, for for a president who they then would have passed the entire the whole of the next four years not in support of. And so I don't think that that's really entirely democratic either. But um, anyway, for whatever reason, the, the courts cancelled this election, so we still don't know who the Alpha president is. Uh, and it's all because of fat fingers from the sound that they got the voting no, papers stuck together. Something, something that, is, of course, it not, not, doesn't surprise at all, but it's, you see, that that paints how the situation is and how Alpha is, is, is being managed. Because uh, there was a microphone that was open. Mm. And and uh, Silva Miguel Silva, the I think the secretary of the AFA, uh, said, now there will be two votes, but uh, that and, and there were two votes. And the thing is that the, the, in the, the sound, the embryo. sound in that recording is so dodgy that this is why I call it conspiracy theory. Like, it but, was just but Segura, Segura uh, uh, admitted this, and he said, if I get the one who opened the microphone, I will kill him. <laughs> he doesn't didn't want to the, well, for for the. The, this thing to be investigated, but he, to kill the one who uh, made the the voice of Silva be here, be heard, mm. uh, saying there will be two votes. Okay, you can't confirm that was the two votes stick in the same envelope. I mean, I don't think it was because, like I say, first of all, the sound was dodgy as fuck. Secondly, they played that on um, one of the Fox Sports discussion programs, right? And it was like the big exclusive. And even the program that was presenting it is the big exclusive. You can watch it on it, it, the, the clip is on YouTube, and basically, all but one of the journalists who are showing this who are going to be wanting to talk it up just immediately start ignoring it. Like they realise, you can tell that it's just complete bollocks as soon as they see it. And the other thing is, as I've already said, Segura wanted the vote to happen that on that day. He wanted it to happen as early as possible because if it happens from today onwards, or from last Saturday onwards, indeed, Tinelli is the favourite now because there are more. There's, there's at least one more supporter plus River around the country it can only be the president or the vice president of a club who votes and River were in Japan both uh, Don Ofrio and, and River's vice president first vice president were, were in Japan last Friday um, sorry last Friday on the day of the original vote uh, they weren't but then last Friday they were um, and so that, this is why Segura was pushing to have it in f- and in fact Tinelli was pushing originally to have it today it's the 23rd now um, and that it got put back indefinitely and I think it's going to be in March or something now, so Segura has no, got so some time, a, I guess. To yeah, they're hand they're, they're, they're basically March, like going about um, how to continue up until March if they they if they are about to have like a transitional government between someone and someone from each list. Like they mm-hmm. were considering the possibility of putting Lamens as president and Angelici as vice president and so on. Okay. Uh, the, basically, these elections have to take in all the all the. Um, all the the characteristics of a novel because you you, you never stop stop listening to things that that come out come about 
before that, uh, before the, the, the event of uh, the election, the, the, uh, the Atlanta president also calling out on, on fellow excursionistas president, which was supposed to not to uh, have been able to vote, and he was, and he hadn't resigned, and so on. You haven't oh, well. heard that? No. Right no, before, I was on holiday when the election happened. Right before, so really right before the, the um, right before the the, the, the event happened, mm. our president uh, Gabriel Greco called Our out Atlanta, the Atlanta the president of the Primera B, uh, and also a friend of Chiqui Tapia, and a, 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 for a, a, let's say as partisan to to Segura, says that they should make a motion to take out the excursionistas president excursionistas in the in the primera C in the fourth division mm -hmm. because he had just resigned the week before and they should not count his count his vote in the election okay. and the excursionista excursionistas president was sit, was uh, sitting down right beside right behind him and greco had said that the excursionistas president had not come to the election <laughs> And also, the excursionistas president one, was one of the two that took uh, that, that took off between the moment of the first election and when they were uh, gathered to see what they would do after they discovered that they had the the, the virtual ah, draw. those three who had to leave. Yes, okay. he was the one who found the the, the paintings on the, on the on the doorstep of his uh, building. Right, uh, that I did hear about. Um, it's all a big shitstorm, basically. And that's the, uh, that's the update on the AFA. We will give you a proper one closer to the uh, the time of whenever the new elections are going to be. And we'll probably end up saying this again in another few months. But at the moment, I think they're scheduled for the first. At least we can we, we can say that uh, nothing different as Cornwall and FIFA. It's like Argentina is not an island. It's the same yeah. yes. same situation. Well, Mystic Sam is not going to have that much of a problem predicting who the next AFA president will be. No, absolutely. Except if another draw comes out. <laughs> and um, no, no, I, had the other feeling, day. I had a feeling beforehand that, uh, that the date that I'd read somewhere was the 8th of March is the provisional date. And I've just checked my calendar and that is a Tuesday. And the Tuesdays are normally the, the dates for AFA's weekly um, board meetings. So watch this space and we'll see what happens. Right now, I'm going to take a very quick pause, quickly refill some glasses... And then we will get straight back on with this because uh, we've got about 25 minutes before Andres has to shoot off. And we're going to talk about domestic football since we've been away, namely the results of all of the uh, various Continental Cup playoffs and also the ups and downs from the lower divisions because Gustavo's here with us this week. So don't go anywhere. of these playoffs have been played um, since then. The second legs have also been played, so we'll take you through, first of all, the, the really big one, the Tre Libertadores. Um, the, you will recall that Racing uh, won the, the first leg 2-0 in Independiente Stadium. 
Uh, it had been, I think, something like 27 years since Racing last won two consecutive Clásicos de Avellaneda, and it's still 27 years since Racing last won two consecutive Clásicos de Avellaneda, because in true Racing style, they very nearly fucked up their classification. Um, they ended up losing 2-1 at home to Independiente, um, meaning that they got a 3-2 win on aggregate. Uh, Cristian Rodriguez with a free kick and uh, Juan Martín Lucero scored Independiente's goals the second of those in the 90th minute Luciano Lono had equalised for Racing in the 70th minute um, and that, that one proved ultimately decisive so Racing uh, Argentina 6 in the Copa Libertadores draw which we've already seen but um, we're going to get onto it in a minute because first of all I'll take you through the Sudamericana qualifications first of all quick reminder that as the losers of the Libertadores final qualification playoff, Independiente qualified for next year's Sudamericana. So that was their kind of um, consolation prize, let's say. And the other Sudamericana results for the finals um, were... Bear with me here. Banfield got a 1-1 draw at home to Aldo Civi, which combined with their 3-2 win away in the first leg meant a 4-3 aggregate win, so Banfield qualify um, from that one. Belgrano also got a 1-1 draw, in their case at home to Colón. That was after a 1-0 away win in the first leg, so Belgrano got a 2-1 win and qualify for the Sudamericana. Estudiantes um, against Olimpo, that wasn't really a contest. Estudiantes won 1-0 in the away leg in Bahia Blanca, and then in the second leg in La Plata they won 4-0 um, with a flurry of goals either side of half-time. Actually, the first goal Estudiantes from Gaston Fernandez was in the 41st minute, and the fourth goal was from Ezequiel Cerruti in the 56th minute. So, 15 minutes of play apart uh, was all it took for them to essentially decide that tie. And the other one was, was an interesting one because it was the only one in which the team who had the second leg away from home managed to qualify, and that was Lanús, who drew, uh, sorry, who won 1 0 at home to Gimnasia in the first leg on the 28th of November and then in the second leg um, in the evening of the 6th of December at Sunday which is the weekend that all these matches were played got a 2-1 win away in La Plata so those teams Lanús, Estudiantes, Belgrano and Banfield plus Independiente are the teams who qualify for next year's Copa Sudamericana which of course is played in the second half of next year um, as well as those ones that's all Banfield was the one because if Aldo Civi had that they qualify to the Sudamericana, that would be terrible. I think Aldo Civi... Terrible, you think? Aldo Civi advancing to the Sudameri Copa Sudamericana, the Continental Cup... What's they... terrible about it? It would have been romantic, think... surely, and, and yeah, yeah, stick up for okay. the Lions and risk on. <laughs> but I agree that it would have been a bit ridiculous, because Banfield did finish, like... I mean by that, not because... Oh, Aldo Civi finished about 18th. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I agree entirely with you, in fact. I was, I was being sarcastic, don't worry. Um... Added to those teams will be the winner of the Supercopa Argentina, um, which is played between the winners of the league and the cup this year. Uh, obviously, the winners of the league and the cup this year were both Boca Juniors, as a result of which, as same thing happens in, in Europe, when a team wins the domestic double, the Super Cup, or the, in England, of course, we have the Community Shield, or whatever it's called now, uh, is played uh, between the double winners and the team who finished second in the league. So the Super Cup in Argentina is going to be played in March or April, I think, between Boca and San Lorenzo, and whoever lifts that trophy will also get to play um, in the Sudamericana. That's the only way, of course, that you can play in both the Sudamericana and the Libertadores, 
as an Argentine club unless you win the Sudamericana um, and therefore qualify for both Libertadores and get to defend the Sudamericana the following year. So, first of all, apart from Andres's uh, strident opinions about uh, being very happy that Banfield won, no real surprises in those, were there? Not at all. I, I think, no. I think Mystic Sam might even have got all four of those qualifiers right um, from the ties, and I think he also called Racing Independiente correct. Um, it's very much what we were expecting from the league table. Gimnasia Lanús was the closest one, and I think Gimnasia and Lanús were the teams who finished closest together in, in the league table. In, in mm. fact, I'm going to check that now. I have a feeling they're running points. There was a, some some, some polemic there in the in the. Yeah, they finished two points apart. Sorry, mm-hmm. Nassi finished 44 points. Lanús got 42 points over the course of the regular season. Carry on, Andres, sorry. In the Lanús uh, home match against Gimnasia, I think there was a, a bit of a discussion there because uh, <coughs> the, the, the goal for Lanús, I think it was in, in clear offside. Uh, it was, uh, and, of course, Troglio complained about the referee and, and, and Reginaldo was a bit ironic, saying, I... I, I don't I don't remember the just the exact words, but it was very very hard on on on, on Barney, the, the 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 referee of that match. But it was really really strange. The the, the side. I remember uh, the referee of the first leg. Yes, the Lanús home, I think. Uh, was Saul Laverni. Yes, he's never been involved in any controversies before. I don't believe it. Um, Sarcasm, by the way. Um, so we have our qualifiers for next year. We also have our Copa Libertadores groups for next year, for they have been decided. The draw was held yesterday, and it was a bit disappointing, really, for veteran watchers of the Copa Libertadores group stage draw, because it traditionally has been held much earlier in the year and has involved a lot of kind of accidental comedy, where it's just been a bunch of very old men drawing balls which have something like the winner of... Argentina 2 will play against these other two teams who we, and so you end up with one team in the group who we actually know the identity of and three others who could be absolutely anybody um, unfortunately this year they've decided to change things around probably because they realised they looked absolutely bloody ridiculous for the last decade and uh, decided to wait until at least most of the slots were already decided and it has just occurred to me that I didn't I should have probably brought up the uh, actual draw before doing this but let's see whether I can Where's the... Oh, bloody hell. Bear with me. Ah, here we go. Hang on. Hopefully they will have the new one already on anyway, so football. Yes, they have. We've got the groups already. So, um, the playoff draws, first of all, are Oriente Petrolet. We're going to go through all of them rather than just the Argentine ones because it's just easier than picking them out. Uh, as I go along. Oriente Petrolero of Bolivia play Independiente Santa Fe, the Colombian side who just won the Copa Sudamericana, of course. Huracan, Sudamericana runners-up, play Caracas Football Club. Um, Puebla of Mexico play Racing. That's apparently going to be um, both Puebla's first ever match in the Libertadores and Racing's first match in um, in Mexico. Also, yes. I read... Unless I've very much misread the report, uh, Racing have never played a competitive match in Mexico before. That's hard. Which surprised me. Difficult to believe, but it may be. Yeah. Uh, River Plate, don't get too excited, River Plate of Uruguay against Universidad de Chile. Uh, Independiente del Valle of Ecuador against Guarani, sorry, del Valle of Ecuador against Guarani. 
of Paraguay and Cesar Vallejo of Peru against Sao Paulo. So those are the playoffs. They're numbered one to six as we went along. So now we will go through and tell you these. So group one, uh, River Plate of Argentina, along with the strongest, wincing because that's a very high altitude trip to La Paz, uh, Trujillanos who play in Venezuela, and the winner of playoff six, which will be either Cesar Vallejo or San Paulo. So, potential for a very interesting group there. Um, group two is going to be Nacional of Uruguay, Palmeiras, Rosario Central, and the winner of playoff four, so either River Plate, Uruguay, or Universidad de Chile. Group three, Boca Juniors, another high altitude trip because they've got Bolivar of Bolivia, um, Deportivo Cali, and the winner of playoff three, Could which would be Puebla or Racing. That would be interesting. Good fun. Um, group 4 is Peñarol of Uruguay Atletico Nacional of Colombia Sporting Cristal of Peru and the winner of playoff 2 Huracan or Caracas Group 5 Atletico Mineiro Colo Colo Melgar of uh, Bolivia, Bolivia. Uh, Colo Colo of Chile of course and uh, the winner of playoff 5 Independiente del Valle or Guarani Group 6 San Lorenzo Gremio Liga Deportivo de Quito and Toluca that has been christened the group of death by yes, South yes. American press and, and I think it's just about right. Some San Lorenzo supporters were joking last oh, night, yeah. saying that they, they were like taking the the paper the, the, the paper when there is there is the 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 ball where this the the paper with mm. the name of the team and said seventies uh, of Brazil of the seventies, <laughs> like the <laughs> there is the only team that could. Uh, it's it's not a good one in particular. Uh, Liga de Quito, going to the, the Casa Blanca, the, the White House, as their stadium's known, is, is very, very tricky, always. Um, and it's the second year in a row, as well, that San Lorenzo have been dri- drawing the group of death, because they were last year, when they were the defending champions, and therefore should have been the, the top seed, which was a bit weird. Um, group 7 is Olimpia of Paraguay, Emelec of Ecuador, Deportivo Táchira of Venezuela, and Pumas of Mexico, who are making their first appearance in the Copa Libertadores certainly since I moved to South America mm, uh, probably yes. a very good time because they're, they're my Mexican club as it happens so I know who I'm supporting in that group um, and group 8 Corinthians uh, Cerro Porteño of Paraguay Cobresal of Chile. Peru Chile Cobresal is Chile Cobresal is Chile is no Cobresol and Cobresal one's from Cobresal is from Chile Cobresal is a Chilean okay and the winners of playoff one which will be Oriente Petrolero or Independiente Santa Fe. Um, so the Argentine groups are, well, there are Pretty tough. six Argentine clubs involved, obviously, with Racing and Huracan in the playoffs. So um, what are we expecting, first of all, for Huracan and Racing? Huracan at home to Caracas in the first leg, away to them in the second, and Racing are away to Puebla in the first leg and at home in the second, um, if we think that makes a difference. But are we expecting six clubs in the group stage? Possibly, possibly. Um, Puebla ha, I've seen Puebla's roster and it has uh, some known names to, to Argentinian football, but it's nothing that Racing can handle. Mm-hmm. And for example, um, Puebla's is, uh, goalkeeper is Christian Campestrini. Um, you have a couple of names. Uh, Ezequiel Rescaldani is also there. Yeah. Like you have a couple of names that are known to Argentine people, uh, to, to Argentine football, but you don't see that nothing that like could stop and particularly considering uh, Racing's uh, latest uh, last few games and performance you, 
you shouldn't see any shock there. Mm-hmm. And for Huracan, you don't know. That's that's more of an open. If they continue playing like they were, they did. A, well, if they if they don't disband, if they don't let go of too many players, it could be. But Huracan uh, has hasn't had that much of a history doing that. There's something something strange with uh, with the Venezuelan teams, even with the national team and the teams, uh, the clubs. I mean, which is uh, they have been growing uh, since ten years ago from here uh, to, to here, but. Uh, The last time was like uh, they came back to the times where they, they had no identity and and, and even the coach was uh, like uh, worried because they, they the qualifiers they were they they weren't uh, they weren't good and uh, with uh, I I at least I don't know anything about Caracas so I mean I I, I think that if Rakan continues playing like they they in the Sudamericana they will have no problem to. It could happen, but we have seen uh, we have seen Huracan flop before, and it could be as it could as it could, and I wouldn't yeah. shock anyone. Huracan well, are consistently inconsistent, um, but one thing that is worth bearing in mind is this time last year, or rather at the beginning of this year, I guess really when we were previewing the first half of the year, uh, I was pointing out that uh, the structure of the Argentine league for 2015, with only 15 matches in each half of the year rather than the normal 19 meant that Argentine clubs would be favoured in the Copa Libertadores because they would have fewer you know, midweek matches, a bit less running around to do in between all of the obviously very, very long distance travel that the Libertadores ensues, um, implies, sorry. And um, this year is the opposite because we've got another new championship to look forward to with another new structure <laughs> and far more matches in a shorter period of time. And it was confirmed, the structure, today it's finally been... Um, Absolutely confirmed. Although, contrary to some reports, uh, the AFA have not yet announced which teams are going to go into which groups. But what we have so far for the local league is the next championship will begin on the 7th of February. Okay? Which is, in fact, a Sunday. So the reality is it will begin that weekend. So the first match is likely to be played on Friday, the 5th of February. Um, and it will have 30 teams in it, of course. The promoted sides are Atletico Tucumán and Patronato de Paraná, as we mentioned, I think, last time we recorded. And they replace, obviously, Nueva Chicago Crucero del Norte, who got relegated. There will be two groups of 15 teams, and they will play each other once each. So 14 matches each in the group, as well as two intergroup Clásicos. Ida y Vuelta. So... River play Boca home and away and River play everybody else in their group only once. Um, this is even stupider than last year's uh, structure, isn't it? Uh, so the, the same, the everybody same, ends up playing 16 matches. It's the same way they played the last tournament. You mean everyone will have a Clásico even though they, they, they aren't Clásicos? Yeah, that's right. Everybody plays the Clásico twice with the difference that it's not quite the same because River and Boca won't be in the same group. Presumably, River, River, will, River mm-hmm. will be in Group A, let's say, Boca will be in Group B, Racing will be in Group A, Independiente will be in Group B. The, the, the structures of all the leagues have been like bollocks. Uh, yeah. Nacional B is also plays home and away for each team, mm-hmm. uh, that, but um, they only have like, um, what, what, what was it, what, one promotion or was it two? Uh, they There's have one, one, one promotion and two relegations. Yeah. 
and Primera Base also two groups with only one round and uh, 20 teams with only one promotion. I don't even want to ask how that's going to work. Um, the, the dates have also been put out already for the Primera and mercifully, at least for me, who has to probably going to have to write the previews for them, there's only one midweek round it's fairly early on, that's in February. Um, the final match, that is to say the, the final, the one that will decide the championship, because the, the two group winners then play off in a one-off final to decide who, who gets to be champions of Argentina, will be on the 29th of May. So the final regular season match is going to be the 22nd of May. Um, the winners of each group, as I've just said, will play the final. It will be played in a neutral stadium in one match only, and if it's a draw after 90 minutes, there will be two extra time halves of 15 minutes each, and then a shootout of kicks from the penalty spot. Um, to determine the only relegation, we will take the promedios, the famous points average system that we complain about on an almost weekly basis on this podcast, uh, from the points accumulated during the 2013-14 season, the Transición 2014, the Campeonato Anual, so last this year's, sorry, uh, 2014, year-long 2015. 2015 championship, and the uh, half-year 2016 championship. I'm not going to try and work out how many matches that's going to be in total for the teams who've been up for all of them because <laughs> it's a different number of matches for each championship. So it's going to be very confusing indeed. Um, and the transfer window is going to end on the 11th of February at 8pm Argentine time, which is to say at 11pm Greenwich Mean Time. So they, they, really will have in, they, they will have uh, played the... Uh, the first round, and they will still be ab available. Will they be able to to sign make a, another uh, uh, to to uh, to hire uh, more players in the meantime? Yes, one one week after the the starting of the tournament. Yeah. They're going to be uh, closing registration for free transfers a week before. So fourth of February, you're allowed to finish signing free transfers, and then. It's a normal thing where I guess you have to register people you're interested in after that, which they always do in Argentina. This is going to sound tremendously confusing to, to people who are new because you've never heard us talk about this before. Um, and as well as that, this, apart from the only relegation to the second division, uh, there will be five teams qualifying from this first half of the year 2016 championship for the Copa Libertadores in 2017. Because, of course, we're going to be halfway through the 2016-17 championship when the next Libertadores starts. So the ones who qualify will be uh, the champion, the runners-up, so the two teams who play the final, basically, and then the teams who finish second in each group. Those are going to be Argentina 3 and 4, as well as the champions of the Copa Argentina. So that bit's the same as this year, basically. That's fairly easy to understand. Plus, of course, if the winner of the Copa Libertadores comes from Argentina again, uh, then it will be uh, everybody else will sort of bump down one spot. Um, for the Copa Sudamericana, they still haven't decided the, uh, how qualification is going to be done. But the Copa Sudamericana, oh, they're in the Copa Sudamericana in 2017, don't they, rather than 2016. So that makes more sense. Anyway, right, so that's that all sorted and done. And I hope you understood it, because if you didn't, then tough shit, we're not going through it again. Um, Gustavo, we were hoping to have you on last time, but you were obviously unable to make it. So take us through. As briefly as you can, how did the um, the lower leagues wrap up? Well, in um, primer, Primera B Nacional, so as you said, uh, 
patronato de, de Paraná uh, bump up to the, to the primera división after a penalty shootout against Ramón Santamarina um, Atlético Tucumán was champion and was promoted to, uh, to primera división as well and from um, from third division to uh, to primera B nacional primera B metropolitana to primera B nacional uh, let me remember uh, Almagro uh, Almagro went went up after winning uh, uh, against uh, Depor Morón. Juntas Deportivo Morón uh -huh. and uh, forgetting someone here um, was Brand de Adrogué. Ah, sorry. Bra uh, because because Brand de Adrogué, who is basically showing a dynasty uh, football in, uh, <laughs> in in Adrogué and managed to get applauded uh, to, to the difference of all of the football of all of football in Argentina, a, a rival manager got applauded uh, in front of a stadium. Wow. Um, I'm from Prim. Who was that against? Um, no, uh, Brown de Adrogué. Champion against uh, Moron became champions like Moron's two. fans stood up and applauded the away manager. Moron's fans and he was wow. Okay, and he took a hug uh, with a, with a, with a Moron mascot, the rooster, who Dan mentioned on the last time <laughs> of the pod. Uh, yes, um, and from Federal A, have you been able to from Federal keep in touch at all? Or? Uh, um, Federal A, for the benefit of listeners who aren't aware, is the um, regionalised third division outside Greater Buenos Aires so um, Gustavo might be a little rusty on this it's a, it's difficult to, to follow either way um, I don't even know how, the, how, it, how it all works the, the way uh, is the final anyway let me see uh, Talleres de Córdoba I think had returned to the you yes. reckon? Huh? Juventud Unida de San Luis the, so definitely came San... up they beat Union de San Chales 3-1 uh, on aggregate in the final and apart from that I'm Struggling to work out how the bloody hell qualification works. Tacheres de Cordoba must have come up. When Antoniana de Salta came up, by the look of it, they're top of the general standings. Tacheres de Cordoba. San Martín de Tucumán. San Martín de Tucumán came up yeah. and they missed their arch rivals who went to the Primera División. Sol de América? No, that's no. <laughs> that's enough. They were fourth <laughs> in the general standings, yeah. so it looks like it's those three teams plus Juventud Antonio. And no, sorry, Juventud Unida, yeah. de wherever we said San Luis. Thank you. Um, any others? We're not going to go down to Federal Bay and uh, no, because that's a bit, no, bit too confusing. It's pretty much that. Um, you've you have seen some pretty pretty interesting uh, transfers now in this window. For for example. Migliore going down to Primera to Primera Metropolitana oh, to yeah, to be the goalkeeper in uh, in, in the Almirante Brown mm. Franco Cangele going down to Nacional B to play for Boca Unidos uh, Lautaro Formica who was like touted to 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 play for the for the national team for many years to come has signed for uh, Villa Dalmine. That's not Mauro Formica by the way because no, any Blackburn brother. fans get so excited it's it's his brother. Um, I think that that wraps us up for 2015, doesn't it? Was there anything else that we said we were going to Lucas Marquez in the Michalmino too? No, Lucas Mar I don't know if he uh, if he left, but he was in Barraca Central, oh, Chiquitapia's uh, team. The former River Independiente left back. Well, he scored a hell of a goal against us uh, the last season. But yeah? Uh, um, it was a, a, a shot almost outside the box. Uh, 
basically the things that Marek didn't used to do in the Primera División. He does it in, in the Primera Metropolitana. But the, like, for example, the team uh, Marek is in is basically crowded with former Primera División players such as uh, Raúl Pipa Esteves or uh, or Víctor Pires Alves. Mm -hmm. Which is, is the the is a very uh, associated with uh, uh, the, the the truck drivers, the Hugo Moyano with, with the truck drivers syndicate. Yes, for those for those uh, listeners who don't know about Barraca Central or Chiquitapia or these players. We're basically talking about players who used to be in the Primera División like five to ten years ago. Yeah, no, um, I actually just wanted to look up how old Raúl Esteves is he's now. He's like he's 37. He's going yes. to turn 38 in uh, just under a month. Well, there are players that be are basically shooting their last cartridges in, in the Primera B Metropolitana. And, and so. he's played for... He started out at San Lorenzo in 1995. And since then, Boca Juniors, Botafogo, Colón de Santa Fe, Racing... Académica de Coimbra in Portugal, Universidad de Chile, Uni Unión Española, and then Boca Unidos Barracas Central. I mean, that's no, no offense meant, but that is quite a drop off uh, in, in a relatively short space of time. Oh, including two years in which he appears not to have played at all between 2011 and 2013 when he left Unión Española and then signed for Boca Unidos. It didn't used to be like that, but it, it's, it, it, it is happen, happening more often. For example, most of you will also know the name of Leonardo Talamonti, who used to play for Lazio, uh, Central and River Plate, and now has gone uh, down to Atlanta and now plays for Platense. Mm. Or uh, Alejandro Delorte, also who used to play for Olimpo, and the last season he was playing for San Martín de Bursaco in the Primera C. Wow. One category below uh, Primera B Metropolitana. Um, so the fourth division. Fourth division, yeah. yes. Brilliant. Oh, we've had a couple of listeners' questions. So let's go on to those before wrapping up uh, our final podcast of the year. First of all, Darren Paul says there are not enough racing players in the team of the year that we announced last year, uh, last last month, sorry, uh, discuss. And also Puebla, are they any good? We've already answered that one, or rather Gustavo's already answered it. And not enough racing players in the team of the year. I think they fell off a little bit, which is why they didn't get automatic promotion. And... I don't know. English Dan was here, wasn't he? When we announced the team of the year, and he didn't mm -hmm. complain. So I'm going to defend my team of the year choices. Thank you. Um, and Lawrence Hart has got in uh, just a few minutes ago, saying, bearing in mind his record for Chile, his, sorry, his record in Chile compared to his record at Quilmes, is Facundo Saba a big gamble for Racing? This is one thing we haven't mentioned, but uh, just a few days ago, Racing confirmed that Facundo Saba is their new manager. Hasn't Hasan Sawa has has managed before Racing before? No. No. No? No, no, no. he's only as a manager, he played for them. Uh, no, I'm no sorry, uh, my memory failed me. Um, for what for for what other team? I don't know. I I've, I'm I'm particularly not not, not that um, I'm not that memorious about uh, Sava's career as a manager. But Sava's managerial career began in 2012 when he took over San Martín de San Juan, then Unión de Santa Fe. Both of those were iffy, let's say. And then he was at O'Higgins in Chile for 2014-15. Then he came to Quilmes last year, and now he's been named as, as Racing manager. So this is his first big club, let's say, to, to really test uh, him. At least uh, Oregon says that... Uh, of course, we can't preview the, the way he will make it, but uh, at least in, in the previous uh, 
uh, he, I think he has similar taste in football like uh, uh, to to Coca, Diego Coca, the the, the way they of the teams well, of them that play. So I think it's similar line and at least sometimes when you when you the manager is sacked or resigns like Diego Coca did at Racing, uh, you don't have. A, a, a line that continues with the following coach and, and in this case I think it, it happens uh, I'm not that sure if he will continue with the, with the Diego Coca line but we have to say two things first Coca wasn't wasn't that impressive either when, when Racing hired him and we, we, won't, we won't go over what, what happened uh, to Coca over the first months of, uh, of his uh, term at, at Racing, but we have to say that he didn't have the best of times at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, Racing has had a history of, of managers that did well without too much, too much expectation of them and all of the managers that they have hired with high expectations have usually failed, so it doesn't make that much of a difference. But um, we will have to see what happens also with, uh, with his career at Chile because I don't know why and this would probably make a, make a good subject for, for, for a study someday. But some managers in, Arge in Argentina have had an impressive careers and have, have seen their careers like skyrocket in their terms in Chile. Mm. And it's not that something that strike us, strikes us at, as um, as particularly unusual, but it has happened. Yeah, which in fact is pretty much what happened with Sava because he was far more impressive at O'Higgins than he was has been so far at any of his Argentine clubs, but of course it's worth pointing out that he's got the racing job largely on the back of that very, very, very impressive transformation that, that happened in Kilmes Fortunes when he took over in the second half of last year and, and took a team, I think, upon one match in the season at the time um, that, that he took over and suddenly they were winning sort of seven out of the next eight games or something it, it was an astonishing transformation um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he does at Kinless he had a record in the league of uh, played 13 won 9 drawn 2 and when he took over as I say Kinless I think had won one of like their previous 17 matches um, so it's not a bad record at all and it's going to be very very impressive uh, very very interesting sorry to uh, to see what ends up happening the other question that we have had also from Lawrence um, is are there any more bowl I think he means Gustavo Bull I tweeted him to see whether uh, what the type was there were rumours uh, any more bull rumours there were rumours in the UK that he might end up on my Brighton doorstep which is why I wanted to make sure it was Gustavo Bull sorry I haven't seen the I think he means Gustavo Bull but he's written B-O-L, I think it's B-O-U though. I'm going to put it down to autocorrect, um, which is why I literally, he'd sent this a couple of minutes ago and I tweeted him to see whether it's a typo. Um, Probably. To see Bull. Is that on Bull to Brighton? I haven't heard anything. It'd be surprising, wouldn't it? I don't know anything really about how well Brighton are doing this season or about what, how much money they have to splash around. Um, but certainly, oh, if we are talking about Gustavo Bull, first of all, and um, if indeed he did go to uh, to the English second division, it would be. I I don't think he'd be above his level. Let's say. <laughs> we could 
that would be have the potential to be a very very good signing. And here we are. To me, he's too slow for uh, for yes. for uh, English football. Yes, Lawrence was indeed talking about Gustavo Bourne. He says the, that is spell check that did that. So we apologise for calling you out for the mistype, Lawrence. But I wanted to make sure we were talking about the right striker because, uh, as I say, Brighton sounded like a surprising one given some of the clubs that he's been linked with. Um, no, but he's too slow for it. Really? Yes. The second division. Most of most of Argentine Argentine players are too too slow uh, for 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 English football. Well, we, I don't know. I mean, Leandro Shaw did perfectly well in the championship. Leandro Shaw, Shaw, the Leicester City player. Leonardo Leonardo Shaw. Um, Leonardo Shaw. Sorry. Yeah. Well, usually you they have to go under some sort sort of uh, adaptation, but. Bo doesn't does not strike me like, like a part, as a particularly fast or uh, agile player for uh, for English football. Mm-hmm. And Simi could be the, perhaps an, an exception. He's he's not slow and he's doing perhaps a good good season. But and I yes. think a good example of how this stuff can surprise us when we had Mr. Vickery on um, for episode two hundred. You know, he we invited him as well to make the point. Um, as he did with, with Romero Fulham Mori that ultimately we never really know how a player's going to do at all you can say oh this player's going to do terribly this player's going to do fantastically and exactly the opposite ends up happening which is something that we certainly would have said about Lancini when he first signed for West Ham I know that Ed Malian and, and, and myself were both quite sort of reticent it was clear that he was talented but whether he was going to be able to apply it week in week out in, in a league of the strength of the Premier League was another matter and he did Claudio Jacob for West Brom hadn't played for Racing in six months and you know there was no way he was going to be match fit he was man of the match on his first no, game no but he was uh, pretty um, fixer in the squad his fitness for example Jacob's uh, Jacob's fitness in the last period in, in Racing was was, uh, was pretty pretty weak but he was pretty fierce also in his gameplay yeah. and the case with Ushoe is what uh, what happened is what is that basically they used him or they took the the role that he needed to do that was to be the the nine inside the area inside mm-hmm. the box. Um, Usha, for example, is like uh, has similar characteristics. I won't I won't go as far as to compare it di- directly, but to Palermo, uh, big guy inside the box, um, chasing around or being fed. That's uh, that's basically what I, what I remember about him. But uh, I haven't seen him that much. Big. Okay. That's what I remember. I he's one meter seventy-seven, so he's about five foot ten. Well, I, I he's I not remember. small. I don't know for Argentina anyway. But no, okay. I don't see, know. I, I think that he's. I agree that he's not the quickest. I think he's got the mobility. But what I am going to be interested in is to see how well he does away from, basically away from having Diego Milito as his strike partner, hmm. because he was. He didn't look promising at all until Milito turned up at Racing and suddenly it was quite clear that he was taking on in confidence and he was listening to what Milito had to tell him and was learning from him, I thought. Uh, um, also, Racing they played has, off each other really well. Racing has also ha- had a tradition of resurrecting certain strikers that were not doing well yeah. in other clubs. It happens for San as well, for um, Jose San. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing, except for Lanús, he didn't do well anywhere besides Lanús or Racing. Incidentally, he's just moved back to Lanús um, last week, so we'll see how that continues now. Um, but on that note, we shall leave you. I think that, that Gustavo Bull would be 
a good signing for most clubs in the championship obviously we don't watch the championship here because it's not televised at all um, so I've no idea whether the championship is a, a properly decent level or not at the moment I suspect that it's, it's probably relatively good especially compared with the Argentine Primera but we'll see um, but if he does go there uh, Lawrence then please keep us up to date and for now thank you very much to everybody for listening throughout 2015 um, thank you very much to the Argentina Independent for supporting us throughout 2015 with your wonderful gift of alcohol on a weekly or well in this one case monthly basis because this is the only episode we've recorded in December um, join us again next year for more fun and laughs and read the Argentina Independent for free on argentinaindependent.com lots of really interesting stuff up there at the moment um, so please go and visit them and support them um, as they've supported us and for now we'll be back in the very last week of January or more likely possibly during the first week of February to preview the 2016 season, the 2016 Copa Libertadores and another fascinating year ahead for the national team no doubt uh, with the Copa America Centenario I'm rolling my eyes as I say this coming up um, in the middle of the year thank you for listening for another year and for now it's goodbye from Gustavo goodbye and from Andres goodbye and have a happy new year and goodbye from me and since we've not mentioned it yet on this episode Merry Christmas to everybody (laughs) 